You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. I love how that video flips the story of the innkeeper. Because typically, the innkeeper in, in the story of Mary and Joseph is sort of the bad guy of the nativity, right? Like, he's the guy that said there's no room in the end, and he turned away this poor, pregnant couple, and they're about to have a baby. I mean, if you've seen, you know, typically the kids play, like, that'll be one of the, the lines is the innkeeper, and they come out, and they're like, no room in the end, right? It's like that guy, you know, Wizard of Oz, the gatekeeper at the Emerald City. Nobody gets in to see the wizard. Not nobody, not know how. Like, that's the innkeeper and the story of the nativity. But if we look at scripture, that little clip that we have in, in the book of Luke that talks about the inn, and when Mary and Joseph get there, we're kind of taking some leaps to get to that idea of the innkeeper. Let me read it to you. It's from Luke 2, verses 3 through 7. And there's this census that has to take place. And so it says, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. We know last week there's more to that than just that she was with child. This was the child that an angel told her that she would bear the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And it says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now we have kind of the innkeeper's sort of an insinuated character, isn't he? He's not even mentioned by name. There's not even an innkeeper present in that story. But we've kind of made up this guy, this person that's like mean and upset, not going to let him in. But maybe it's more like what the video showed us. I mean, what was he to do? If there's no room, there's no room. I mean, he had this other old couple maybe, and they booked way ahead in advance, and they've all unpacked. Like, what's he going to throw them out on the streets? There's no room. But instead, what he does offer up is all that he had left, his everything, the stable, the barn, so that they would have somewhere. So I like the idea that we have an innkeeper who's not so much a bad guy, but he is using what he's got, his gifts, to try and bless them and serve them and help them, which is an idea that we love at Christmas, right? This idea of what can we bring to Jesus? What gifts can we give him? That's the little drummer boy, right? You guys know the song, the little drummer boy? Like we have made up the little drummer boy, nowhere in the Bible, but we've made up a whole song about him when the innkeeper fits that idea, right? In fact, I like to think like, what would the innkeeper think today? If he were here, he comes into your house, he sees your little nativity set that you've set up. He's probably looking for himself, right? And he's like, is that one me? No, that's a shepherd. Is this one? This one has wings. That's not me. And he's like, what? The wise men? The wise men weren't even there. I mean, it is my stable. How come I'm not one of your little nativity pieces? That's the innkeeper. But then, of course, we do, we, we, we fill that idea with the little drummer boy, right? Which I have some issues with the song, the little drummer boy. First off, as I mentioned, not in the Bible, okay? But second, second, why does he talk that way? I mean, everything the little drummer boy says, come, they told me, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, he follows it with, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, a newborn king to see, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I think little drummer boy has a speech impediment, right? And then on the way, I stopped at McDonald's, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, and I ordered a quarter pounder, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, with cheese, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I think he's got a speech impediment, and when y'all sing that song, you're making fun of him. It's mockery. It's insensitive to little drummer boy, the way we sing that song. Next problem I have with this is the last thing you want in the room of a newborn is a percussionist, right? 
I mean, it is hard enough to get a baby to go to sleep with all the animals around, and then in comes somebody who thinks he's John Bonham, just going to do a drum solo for your baby. And then, of course, the song ends. He's like, this all I had to bring the baby Jesus. This was my gift, my talents. The song ends, and he says that the, the baby smiled at him. Babies can't smile. Newborns don't smile. That doesn't develop until weeks later. He gave the baby Jesus gas, right? Somebody needs to check the swaddling cloths. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum. That's the little drummer boy. I have some issues there. Whereas we could use the idea of the innkeeper for the same role in the nativity story as somebody who is giving their all, trying to serve God with their gifts, their talents, their time, their treasures which is not just a, a Christmas idea, it is a Bible idea. It is a New Testament idea. We hear Jesus talk about this throughout his teaching, using our stuff to serve others. We hear the other New Testament authors bringing this idea up of how can we use what we have to help others. And it is a very Christmas idea. The gifts that we have, we also give to one another. So last week, I got to speak to you guys about the idea of the gift that God has given us at Christmas, Emmanuel, the baby in a manger. Jesus is God with us. What a gift. Not only do we get to have God with us, but God within us so that now we can serve others better. We have the gifts of God that we can use in our lives to make an impact on people. But the question we are left with is, will we use that gift of Emmanuel? Will we allow God not only to be within us, but, but without us, like through us, without us? We don't want to be God. You know what I'm saying, right? We want God to be through us. And so I want to look at this concept of using our faith, using what God has given us to serve others. And I'm going to take what might feel like a hard right from the Christmas story and look this morning at the book of James. But let's realize that James, most Bible nerds and scholars know and identify James as one of the brothers of Jesus. Jesus wasn't an only child. The New Testament talks about his other brothers and sisters. And so James was also a son of Mary and Joseph. So when James comes to know Christ and, and comes to talk about Christianity, he's not only talking about what he heard from Jesus, but we might just be hearing echoes from what he learned from Mary and Joseph and the ways that they walked in faith finding out that, man, they have to go take the census now and they're pregnant with God's son and then later on they have to flee for safety and they're going in faith that God will continue to protect them. When we hear James talk in his, his letter to the New Testament church, we're not maybe just hearing his voice, but the voice of Mary and Joseph as well. And so let's look at this idea that James presents to us of how we use the gift of our faith. James chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 14, says this. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says that he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He could just as easily have said, if you're an innkeeper and two people show up and they're pregnant, you got no room, and you just send them out on their own and be like, best of luck, how does that help them? But then he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He's saying, if you say you believe, I should see that belief. He said, if you, you claim to have this gift of God with us, God within you, man, I should see that in your life. 
by the things that you demonstrate in your life. Because in all reality, much of faith is very internal, right? But it shouldn't be only internal. But I'm afraid we often fall into that idea of like, my faith is my private thing. It, it affects me. It doesn't have to be anything else. It's, it's for me, right? But, and, and there's parts of that. You know, if we look at what we have to do to become a Christian, if you look at the steps of salvation, many of the steps are internal steps. That very first one is admitting that we have sin, admitting that when we die, there is the penalty for our sin yet to be paid, which is hell place the Bible talks about of being separated from God, of being fire and torture for eternity. That's what our sin brings us. And so the first step to salvation is admitting that, that all of us have that sin. And on our own, we are destined for the penalty of that sin. But with God, we have another solution. We have a rescue plan for us because God was not okay with leaving us alone and our sin to be separated from him for eternity. And so God brought us the gift of his son so that we could have a rescue. And so that's step one is just admitting, man, that's my future. That's my eternity unless something else happens because of my sin. So I got to admit that sin to God that I can't do this on my own. Then step two, and we're just going through the Bible school ABCs, right? Admit. Step two is believe. Believe that Jesus is the solution for that sin that he is the only solution for that sin, that the only way, I can't do it on my good behavior, I can't do it on my own, the only way to have a solution for my sin is to have one who died for me to pay the penalty of that sin. And so I believe that that's my solution. And so all that right there, like we're, we're part of the way there, that's all kind of internal, right? Is admitting, I do that internally. And then believing, that's sort of an internal thing. And for many people, that's where faith stops. But James would say, that's great. You, you believe, but even the demons believe. And we saw that in the book of Mark. Often Jesus would come upon someone who had been taken over by demonic possession, and the demons would cry out, identifying him as the son of God. Even the demons believed, but see where that got them? James is saying it can't just be belief. Admit and believe on itself is just part of the journey. That is an internal faith. I'd like to refer to it as a Christmas decoration faith. I have a bit of a love-hate uh, relationship with Christmas decorations. I love to look at them. I hate to put them up. I hate even more to take them down because then all the fun's over and there's all this work left to do and you're like, what do I do with this for the rest of the year? I have a section in my shed that is devoted to Christmas decorations. It's taken up precious real estate where I could be putting lawnmowers and tools and other junk that I must have, but I store it there all year so that I can look at it for six weeks, right? That's Christmas decorations. And, and it's nice, like it, it's good to look at. These trees up here, they're beautiful, right? But ultimately, they're just something to look at. They don't serve much of a function. They're more for decoration. My Christmas tree is not vacuuming my house. It's doing the opposite, dropping needles everywhere. I mean, clearly I could find another place, a better place probably to put the presents than under a tree. It's certainly doing nothing for my energy bill, okay? All of our decorations are just stuff to look at. And they make us feel good, right, on the inside. We get the warm and fuzzies from the Christmas decorations. We might even say it connects us like to nostalgia, to our history. It reminds us of our past. And all that is good. And our faith can serve for those things also, can't it? Our faith makes us feel good, makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It might connect you to the generations before you, your parents who led you to Jesus. But if our faith stays as just decoration, 
if it's just ornamental and it's not serving a purpose, James would say that it's only part of the way there. He would say, in fact, that that faith, if it's just for decoration in your life, that that faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. If a real action has taken place internally, then a real action will also take place externally, right? If we have an internal action, there should be an external reaction. And that's where we get to the rest of that plan of salvation. If we just go very simply of the ABCs of salvation, that's what we talk about at like Bible school or introduce it to little kids that way. We have the admit and the believe. Those are very internal. But then next comes confess. That is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, that he is my number one. He is my king. And one way we show confession, kind of the first way we often show confession is through baptism, right? It is that public expression of a change that has taken place in my life, and I want everybody to see it. And we've been so fortunate this year. We baptized so many people. We wore out the old baptistry, right? We had to bring in a whole new model. It's fancy, and we're loving it. But that is that first step of confession, saying publicly, I've given my life over to Jesus. I've recognized that I have sin, and I've died to that sin. It made me a mess, but now I am clean from that sin and I'm coming back up out of the water just like I'm coming out of the grave the same way that my Jesus came out of the grave so that I too can live in eternity with him. That's confession. But it's only part of confession. It shouldn't stop there, right? We should begin to have more and more of that external reaction of the internal action that has taken place. Now we begin to take Jesus' teachings and we don't just read them and say, mm, that's good, and memorize it and keep it inside. We begin to live it. We begin to say, all right, well, how do I treat people the way Jesus treated people? How can I become humble the way that Jesus was humble? How can I be like Jesus and kneel to wash the feet of my friends, but also my enemies? How can I use my time and my talents and my treasures to serve Jesus so that more people can know about this gift that I have? In our youth group, we, we talk about this. You might often see some of our kids or me wearing one of these armbands. We call this an eternity story armband. It tells the story of eternity and how we fit into it, how can we, we can be a part of the eternity that God has for us. And it works out these steps of salvation. It shows the reality of what happened, that we are sinners, that there's sin in our world. And so we have a reaction to that. We must admit that we're sinners. It shows that, that God wasn't cool with us being in our sins, so he sent us the gift of Jesus. So our reaction to that is that we believe in Jesus. Then, of course, we confess through baptism. We confess through our lives, but we never leave it in the youth group. It's just the A, Bs, and the Cs of salvation. I always like to add a D, the A, B, C, Ds of salvation. And the D stands for do work. That is where we begin not just confessing it, but we begin working out what God has in store for us to do. We begin serving people the way that Jesus served us. We begin letting that internal action that took place be an external reaction that can change our entire world because faith without works is dead. James isn't the only one who said this. Jesus said this. Jesus gave this parable about a king who's inviting people into his kingdom, and he's deciding who gets in and who doesn't get into his kingdom. And he says this king separates people like a shepherd might separate goats from sheep. And so then as the people are hearing, like, hearing this, they're asking like, why they're able to get into the kingdom. And he says, here's why. Here's why you get in, because when I was hungry, me, the king, when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And then here's what the people, how they respond. 
He says, Jesus says, Matthew 25, 39, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus' message to us is as we are serving others, we're also serving him. That's so much more than a Christmas decoration faith. That's not just for decoration. It's got function, right? It's not just to be pretty. It's a faith that has purpose. You'll see around the, the corners of our building, the sidewalls, we have these tables set up. And some of you got confused at communion, and your communion ended up being Slim Jims and Ramen Noodles because you went to the wrong tables. These tables are actually for a project that you'll hear more about in a bit that we're going to finish up uh, to help prisoners. We're packing care packages, care kits, for local people who are incarcerated in our area. And if everything goes to plan, we will pack 1,000 care kits to go to 1,000 prisoners so that we can serve them the way that Jesus directly instructs us to do. And so we set all this up Wednesday. We sorted it out on the tables Wednesday night. And then I came back in Thursday morning and I was trying to make sure like everything was getting Sunday ready. And I looked around and we had these piles of cardboard boxes, which this one, somebody had made a pyramid out of those cardboard boxes. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, maybe I should take that down. It's a little unsightly. Like we got the pretty trees up and all the decorations and then a pile of cardboard boxes. And then I realized it's not a pyramid. It's a Christmas tree, Right. It's a cardboard Christmas tree, which maybe it's not pretty, but here's the deal. It serves a function because inside each of those boxes is going to go one of these prison care kits. We're going to fill that Christmas tree up with the love of God, the story of God, and then send it out to people so that they can hear about this gift that we have been given. And so this morning, my challenge to us as a church is not to just be the pretty Christmas decoration but to be the cardboard Christmas tree that serves a purpose. To have a faith that's not internal, that just makes me feel good, but a faith that has an external reaction to what God has done for me. And so that is my challenge. This Christmas, what are you going to do with Emmanuel, God with us? Is it just going to remain God within me, God with me? Or will it be God through me, God blessing others? This Christmas, is your faith going to just be ornamental or will it be functional? For 2022, how can we be a church? How can we be a people that are not just about feeling good and having an internal faith, but having an external faith that is changing the world around us? Let me pray for us. Jesus, first, we just have to thank you for the gift you gave us of Emmanuel, God with us at Christmas. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that has not taken that gift, God, I pray that you would just impact them, that this is their day to receive your gift of salvation, your gift of forgiveness, your gift of eternal life, your gift of love. So God, if there's someone here who has not received that gift, I pray, God, that they would be moved out of their seat this morning to speak to someone. Maybe it's the people that brought them to church this morning. Maybe it's the people serving in our prayer room or just someone around them, God. I pray you'd give them the courage to seek you, to open that gift you've given us. God, for those of us who have opened that gift of salvation, who do have Emmanuel, God with us, God within us, God, I pray that it wouldn't just stay inside us, but Lord, you'd show us ways that we can use our time, our 
talents, our treasures, whether it's drumming or owning a barn, God, ways that we can serve you. God, let us not be a people that are, that are internal. Now, let us not be a people of a faith that is dead, but let that faith be accompanied by works that change those around us so that more can receive your gift, so that more can receive salvation and eternity with you. God, let me pray also this morning for the people that are incarcerated in our area who are gonna get one of these bags that we fill up this morning. I pray, God, that the card with the verses on it would speak to them. I pray that it might just be the first little trickle of faith opening up in their lives because of our simple actions today, God. We pray that you would use it and you would impact the lives of those right now who need to hear about you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.